There was nothing else at all in the whole world but football. My name is Simon and welcome back to a long overdue episode of the Triple F show where I was joined by Tariq from Tariq Talks. He has a fantastic podcast where he talks about all things football and Tariq joined me the other day to talk about all things Premier League transfers, the marquee big signings that we expect to happen. We went through all the big hitters of the Premier League, all the big teams and we guessed basically which um, massive signings each of those teams would be signing in the summer. Um, a couple of them have already been made already, so you know that made it fairly easy to do. But we had a really good chat and it was uh, really enjoyable and I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. The only thing you might not enjoy is my sound quality. Unfortunately, I'm having a few technical issues and I'm trying to sort that out. Um, unfortunately, it costs uh, a bit of time and a bit of money, so it might take a while until I get that sorted. But yeah, for now, please just bear with me. Um, it sounds like I'm, I'm talking through a tin can, but Tariq is sounding silky and smooth as ever uh, and... To be honest, it doesn't really matter because we have a fantastic conversation and I think it's something that you guys are thoroughly going to enjoy and I really hope you do. Anyway, um, here, here's now for the chat and thank you again for listening and take care, guys. Bye-bye. So um, I know you were just talking about it off-air, Tariq, but um, I just want to get your thoughts on on your your sort of feelings of the Arsenal season. Um, are you disappointed? Are you, you know, satisfied with how things went? What's your thoughts? It's quite difficult in a way to say it in like kind of one word. And, and I think this has been the kind of feeling throughout the whole Arsenal fan base, because if you're looking at the whole of the season, it has been successful in a way, and it has given us something to be ambitious, ambitious about going forward. But with how it ended, given the circumstances, what played out, only one game, literally a point against Tottenham would have been the difference in the end. Um, that would have got us into the top four and then losing top four to them. Um, mm. So I think that adds, then that made me feel that little bit of disappointment going into the end of it. But now the dust has settled and we're looking forward into the new season, hearing a lot of big names linked to our club, <laughs> our Arsenal, um, that makes us a little bit more excited. So, yeah, I'm kind of getting the overall picture. It's been a good season. Um, and, yeah, one to build off on. What about you? What's your thoughts? Um, yeah, I don't have to totally agree, to be honest. I think it's been a good season. I think that's the sort of figurative word, really, good. Mm. It's not been fantastic. It's not been amazing, but it's not been a disaster. Like a lot of Arsenal fans will sort of lead you to believe, but it's... Yeah, it's been, it's been a, a good season and I think in terms of part of the um, the sort of progress and the process that, you know, that, that word that I don't really enjoy using, <laughs> it is it is part of the process and it does, um, it does look positive and, you know, what Mikel Arteta is building at Arsenal does look positive and I'm, I'm excited to see where we go and exactly like you say, with the transfers, um, especially with all the players that we're linked to, it's um yeah it's really exciting i'm really wondering what sort of team and and what sort of squad 
Arsenal's going to put together for next season. Um, but yeah, just to explain to, to the listeners what Tariq and I are going to do, I'm just going to go through a list of teams. Unfortunately, not every single Premier League team, because we'll probably be here for about three <laughs> hours. Um, but yeah, just, just a list of teams, and we'll be going through them, and we'll just more or less be predicting who we think each team's marquee kind of transfer is going to be. And um, as we're both Arsenal fans, there's no better team than uh, to start with than Arsenal, to be honest. And my prediction for our marquee signing, uh, si- signing is going to be Gabriel Jesus. I just think, you know, you see um, we've had links to the likes of sort of Victor Osman. Yesterday we put in a bid for uh, Skamaka. Um, that looks like that could materialise. It also looks like we could be bringing in um, Gnabry, possibly. That might be a bit of a, a, a sort of far stretch, but the, the links are there. Um, there's Marquinhos from Brazil as well, and Yuri Tillemans looks like it's pretty close as well. So there's a lot of big names, but just for me, I think Gabriel Jesus, you know, even though he might come at sort of 40 million, it's not exactly a, a sort of marquee transfer um, fee. But he would just completely transform our uh, our side. I think I think it'd be a, a fantastic signing. Yeah, totally agree with you there. When you're talking about Gabriel Jesus and that forward position that we've been crying out for all season, all year, when a lot of Arsenal fans um, they put a lot of blame onto not making the top four, not having that clinical striker that can even get you 10 to 15 goals in the Premier League. I didn't think that turned out to be the case, why we didn't make top four, but it is definitely an area of weakness. Looking at it for myself, you mentioned his name in there, in that midfield, Yuri Tielemans, and that he would be a a massive upgrade in that midfield area, especially in the new formation that we're looking to play in that 4-3-3 with Mm. Partey the base, Erdegaard at the right, taking up those half spaces. And what we want someone in that left midfield is to be a little bit more box-to-box, but also Mm. provide some goals. And Yuri Tielemans has that in abundance. Left foot, right foot. The guy, he's definitely, he's right-footed, but he's more, he's more than capable of using his left. Um, And goal scoring, arriving in the box, timing, ball progression. Um, The only little thing that I'll probably look at with Yuri Tielemans is that little bit of mobility in terms of athleticism. In defensively, not on the ball in possession, but he, when he gets beat, he gets beat usually, and he's not going to mm. be someone who's going to be recovering and making a lot of recovery challenges. But he is a very good reader of the game defensively as well if he is set in that position. And I think he's just an upgrade on Xhaka, who I'm not his biggest hater. Um, but yeah, if we want to add more competition and goals in our midfield, essentially, because there's so much pressure on the strikers to score the goals. But if you're a good team, look at the top teams in our country and across Europe, they have goal scorers coming from, not just their forwards, but in midfield as well. And Yuri Tielemans, that's the one for me. Yeah, no, definitely. Do you think Tielemans um, kind of struggled last season for Leicester in, in the sense that, you know, he, he was missing Ndidi for, for a big part of that season? And I think, yeah, that, me personally, I think he, he did struggle because of that. But, um, do you also think that he would kind of get what he gets with Ndidi, with, with Partey? Or maybe if Partey's out, perhaps Jacques could kind of play that role. Do you think that that would work in a way? Yeah, essentially, because in midfield, and I, th- I think any partnership, whether it's strikers or it's defenders, and especially in midfield, it's about balance. And Thomas Partey would bring that mobility defensively, um, breaking up the play, also in his ball progression as well. I think he's a better ball progressor 
then an Ndidi, so there'd be less reliance upon Tielemans to be a creative outlet or even trying to get us moving on the counter-attack. And yeah, I think he would be the perfect balance and complement um, Tielemans' game. And really, do you know the weaknesses that I've just spoken about, mobility coming back, it will be, the, the flaws won't be there clear to see um, in his game. And I do think he did struggle for that reason. And the whole lack of balance in Leicester's side defensively, where it's if you do have those type of flaws, we've seen with Granit Xhaka at Arsenal, he's been um, culpable for many occasions, red cards, making challenges in the box because of his lack of mobility yeah. was when we had a weaker defence. But even in our strongest point this season, we were fine um, with Granit Xhaka and he was arguably one of our best players at points. Yeah, um, agreed. So that kind of just says right there, if you have a good balance side and you give the platform for the likes of these players to push on from, the sky's the limit, man. And especially with Tielemans' quality. Yeah, no, definitely. Just um, going back to Jesus, I mean, if if we were to just sign him and he would kind of be our solitary out-and-out striker, um, if we weren't to bring in a Skamaka or, or, or an Osman, somebody of that ill, mm. do you think, Gabriel Jesus, you'd be almost um, satisfied with him just being the number one striker? Yeah, I would be satisfied in a way. Um, and I know with a lot of the Arsenal fan base, then they're not so satisfied. They want the two. They want the alternative style. I can understand that because, mm. you know, it gives us a, an, another option going forward against different opponents. But with Gabriel Jesus, because of his tactical fluidity and his versatility, he can be playing all across that front three, which the best teams do have now. And if we're going to be tr aspiring to get to that Liverpool standard or even Manchester City, um, we're going to need that tactical fluidity because they don't necessarily have a target man. I'm sure we'll get into City later on, but they didn't <laughs> um, in the last six, two seasons. And then you've got Liverpool who have Jota, who's the closest to a target man as an aerial threat. And I think Gabriel Jesus isn't too bad in the air either. Um, so the best teams do have that fluidity where it's hard to really pick up one position. Jack Jesus could play at a left. He could obviously play in the middle and on the right. Um, and then we could look at Gabriel Martinelli to come inside a little bit more. Um, and Eddie Nketiah, of course, who's looking like he's going to sign a new deal, which will be a good opportunity for him, given the fact we're in the Europa League as well. So, yeah, I would be satisfied to have Gabriel Jesus as our only striker signing. Yeah, no, no, definitely I would too. And I think, um, you know, it's a, it's a key name that you bring up with Nketiah because if you were to have Enketia and Jesus as your sort of main two strikers, mm. you don't have to sort of tweak the system too much. You don't have to change things too dramatically. And I think that, you know, that in a way is, is a bit of a positive because I think if you do have a, a sort of big target striker, then you kind of have to tweak the, the, the rest of the team. Exactly. But with, with Enketia and Jesus, they practically are... Uh, they're, they're very different players, but in a way they, they, they sort of have stylistically the same kind of uh, game in a way. Yeah, totally under, uh, totally agree. And yeah, as you said, stylistically, I think Jesus is more technically refined um, around his game. He's a little bit better at the hold-up play, can take you on 1v1. But then what they do share similar uh, in similarities is their frame, their size and their speed mm -hmm. as well. So uh, moving on to the Midlands, you're, uh, I believe you're from the Midlands, is that yes. right? Yes, I am. <laughs> lived, lived up and down the Midlands. So so a club you're pretty well aware of, Aston Villa. Um, 
I've got Diego Carlos as being their sort of um, marquee signing, who has just been announced today, I think, officially from from Aston Villa. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit of an odd one because he is somebody that I know quite a deal about because I've got a Sevilla um, a, a fan nice. friend of Sevilla, and like he's just going ballistic, and he's so annoyed with how Sevilla have just let him go for what seems to be an absolute snip. I mean, they only sort of paid 26 million. My mate is saying they, he should have gone for 70. So, yeah, which is probably just a typical sort of fan yeah. uh, overreaction. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the guy is a good player. He's a very, very good defender. So I think Aston Villa have got themselves an absolute coup. But, yeah, I don't know for you. What, what's your thoughts on this? Oh, with Diego Carlos, it's a centre-back that was highly sought after. Um, even in January, he was linked with Newcastle and they actually had failed attempts to get him and look at the project that Newcastle are embarking on. So you've got to give some credit there to Aston Villa to get that signing in early through the doors. Very aggressive defender, Diego Carlos, a South American-style centre-back who will be in your face Um you know, rolling around uh, if you have a little elbow around. Because um, I, ke- I kept a keen eye on him when Sevilla played Wolves in the Europa League, which is, what, two years back now. And he was outstanding. Yeah. Aerially as well, very strong, dominant. So he'd suit the Premier League stylistically in that sense. So he's a good centre-back and he's in, he's in his peak years now. So Aston Villa is going to have to hit the ground running there. Um, but I do think it is a good, smart signing and improves upon their back line. Who do you see him coming in for, though, Si? Um, who do I think he'll replace? Yeah. Um, I think he'll go alongside Tyrone Mings. Mm. Um, because it seems that Steven Gerrard is, is going for a back four rather than a back three. So, yeah, I think the, the pairing will be him and Mings. Um, I'm not entirely sure about where they both sort of play on either side of the centre-backs. I'm, well, I Mings think... is left-footed, so you probably say. Yeah. yeah. And Gio yeah, Carlos exactly. is right. But he's adept of using his left as well, to be fair. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, that just seems to be the natural sort of pairing. I've, I'm trying to think of the other sort of centre-backs that would um, be competing, but you've got Courtney House. Yeah, um, Conza. Yeah, Conza as well. I think they're, they're good depth options, but I think they'll just they'll kind of be the, the sort of depth yeah. choices. And yeah, Carlos and Mings. If you just sort of say that on paper, it, it, yeah, it sounds, sounds like a pretty solid defensive pairing. So yeah, it's um, it, definitely good business from Aston Villa, and the fact they've done their business really early as well because they've brought in Bubakar Kamara from Marseille, and that's um, yeah, he he's a hell of a coup as well. So I think um, you know the, the Aston Villa are doing good business and the turning a few heads so yeah, yeah fair play to them exactly that and hey <laughs> Arsenal fans we was beat losing up looking at Aston Villa last summer in envy yeah. signing Emi Buendia I can kind yeah. of sense that feeling coming in with the Arsenal fan base now but yeah you've got to give credit <laughs> to Aston Villa some decent coups right they're bringing in just on to Brentford now um Christian Eriksen is is my sort of call for for who I think their their sort of headline signing is going to be I, I mean, they might do some other sort of bits of business as well, but I just think with Christian Eriksen, um, and who knows, Christian might actually go to a different club. He's completely free to do so. I think. I think he is a free transfer at the moment. So the the, the sort of world is his oyster. And if you look at the the impact that he had for Brentford when he came in in January, mm-hmm. he 
in a way, you've got to say that he kind of kept them in the Premier League because I think they were they were struggling. Um, and were he not to come in and, and give them the absolute boost that he did, who knows where they'd be. So I think they've got a hell of a lot to thank for Ericsson. And I think they'll be looking at that thinking, this has probably got to be our first bit of business. We've got to put all our eggs into this basket and we've got to try and get him in because he is... Yeah, he's a fantastic player and he and he completely worked for Brentford. So it's not like he's going to come into somewhere and try and adapt to the team. He's obviously a really good fit for him. It's almost like um, Martin Odegaard when he came to Arsenal. That, you know, he had that sort of trial period and it worked really well. And when he came in, he did even better. So I think Christian Eriksen can, can do absolute bits for Brentford. And yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that he goes there, to be honest. Yeah, I can I totally understand. And of course, we don't want him to go into the, the, the other team that's been linked <laughs> no, with no, him. No. <laughs> but I think a big person who has to thank Christian Eriksen a lot is Ivan Tony because he adapted his game before Christian Eriksen was there because Brentford were lacking a lot of creativity. So that was forcing Ivan Tony to drop deeper, collect the ball, progress it up to Mbwemo and try and link up with him there. And that was kind of getting found out in that period before he came when they were struggling. But he allowed Ivan Tony to get back into the box, be in those danger areas, be the aerial threat that he is, the goal-scoring threat. And Ericsson playing those early passes with his left or with his right foot, another player who's quite ambidextrous and having that vision to spot him out. It was, yeah, brilliant signing and had a huge impact on Brentford, keeping them up. I do agree with you there, um, looking at Ericsson and he's, he's just a breath of fresh air for them. You know, when you see that quality, we... We, we didn't really get to appreciate him because he was he was at them lot um, at that time. Yeah. We knew he was a great player. But now that he's at Brentford and you can appreciate him a little bit more and to see what he's come back from um, yeah. in, you know, playing with a different, well, playing with a pacemaker, um, mm. which, you know, it sounds crazy to see and still being the fantastic footballer that he is. And the product, um, I know he's Danish, but came through the Netherlands as well. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Another one out of the Ajax belt. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I could tell it pains you to say that, you know, <laughs> he was a, he's a fantastic player. And it pains me as well because, you know, he did play for them a lot down the road. But, you know, for, for a player to come back and, like you say, be able to play with a pacemaker and just that, that absolute atrocity that he went through um, during the European Championships, it was, it was horrible to see. I don't want to see anybody go through that but the way that he's come back from that and and just absolutely played like he's never been gone like he never had a heart attack so it's um yeah absolutely i've put my hat off for him um he's done brilliantly well and I, yeah I, I, like i say i'd like to see him at brentford anywhere but spurs to be honest <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> if you're interested in coming on the show for an under the floodlight special to talk about your favorite player or manager please email the triplef2021 at gmail.com or DM the triplef84 on Twitter. All contact details will be in the episode description. Hope you're all keeping safe and thanks again for listening to the Triple F. Yeah, just moving on to um, Chelsea, mate. Um, I, it's an interesting one because there's been quite a few links to big players. You've seen Usman Dembele um, been linked with Chelsea uh, and who... I think there's been a few others, but the player sort of escapes my mind now. But um, I do—I don't know. For for some reason, I just think Jules Kunde mm. will be going there. Um, 
I think they'll they'll try. They obviously tried last uh, summer. I think they tried a little bit in January as well. They will do everything they can, everything in their power to get them. Um, what do you do? You see Kunde going to Chelsea, and do you think the, the new ownership is going to have it a sort of an impact on? On their signings, do you think it's going to be more or less the the sort of usual business for Chelsea that they kind of had under Abramovich, or do you think you know it's kind of good, they're going to have to kind of change tack a little bit? I think it's going to be an interesting one for Chelsea because they are going through a lot of transition with the amount of players that have cut their contract has expired. So, and um, there's been rumours that Todd Burley's looking to invest two hundred million, which you know what it sounds a lot on face value but when you're looking at the amount of players that have left you think there's what four players or essentially at the back who have left who need replacing that and if you're going to be spending for the likes of Jules Kunde which is going to be what in the 50 40 to 50 million pounds region and then like 50 16 euros that's already like a quarter of that gone in a way so i mean so you got to think of it and say Chelsea, it's, it's going to be an interesting summer for them. And as you said, Kunde, he would be a good signing for them. Um, it, at the back, they need to replace Rudiger's aggressiveness in defence and how he likes to step out for Sevilla. Another player they've been linked with is the team that you're, the shirt that you're wearing in Josko Vardial, um, the yeah. Croatian young teenager, I believe. And he's, he's one for the future on that left side. I think he's someone that could bring the same sort of tools as Rudiger, but using that left foot. And he progresses quite high for Leipzig when I've watched him play in the Europa League. So he's someone to pay, uh, keep your eye on and look at. But they've also been today, as of today, I'm not sure how reliable these rumours are, but um, I was reading on Football London that Rafinha has been linked with Chelsea as well. So they are looking to add in their attack. And then with the likes of Romelu Lukaku, who's been looking like he could be leaving, there's a lot of transfers that they need to be looking at and a lot of work that needs to be done for Chelsea in the market. But sorry, how many positions do you think that they will actually sort out and what areas of the pitch? Uh, it's a good question, mate. It's a very good question. I think, you know, I asked you that question, um, is it going to be much of a sort of change of tact for, for Chelsea going on with this new ownership? And I, I don't think it will be. I think, you know, I agree with you. I think they'll more or less carry on the big spending. Yeah. Um, so I think they will. I think maybe they won't go for massive marquee signings, but they will bring in a lot of positions and a lot of players in, in, in sort of different areas. Because like you mentioned there, there was a lot of players that are, are expected to leave. So I think they'll just need to sort of bring in like for like replacements for, for each of those players. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And it also brings up the, the sort of topic of the Premier League in general. Mm. Um, because Rudiger is is obviously left for Real Madrid, and that's a big name. You know, he, he's done some really big things for Chelsea, so he's a massive player, and he's a big loss for them as well. It's not going to be easy, even if they do bring in Jules Koundé. Mm. There's no guarantees that he's going to be the sort of defender that that Rudiger was for them. So, just just that in mind, I mean, I just wanted to ask you: Do you think um, there's going to be any sort of big outgoings this summer in the Premier League, or do you think sort of Rudiger is going to be at the top of that that list for outgoings? So, Mane looks to be another one that should uh, should be a massive mm-hmm. outgoing in the Premier League, and you can arguably say he's a Premier League legend um, and has mm. pre- le- legendary status, especially for Liverpool. Um, Salah, there's another one. 
Um, I think, yeah, this has been a quite an interesting market already because before the transfer window's even begun, there's a lot of names being banded around in Europe and through the Premier League. So I'm looking at Liverpool um, in their transition. Spurs, unfortunately, doesn't look like they'll be losing any of their key players in Harry Kane and Son. Um, and, yeah, Paul Pogba leaving on a free. I guess that's quite big, um, but not really had this sort of success that we're looking at with an Antonio Rudiger. So, yeah, um, so I'm looking at Liverpool mainly, Mane and Salah, and then uh, that's it, uh, really. What about yourself? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. I think Mane is probably going to be the biggest one. Did you see his statement that he came out with yesterday? No, what was where that? Where he said that he was willing to give the Senegalese people what they wanted. And, and what he was referring to was that he, I think that they did a poll um, where it said, do you want Sadio Mane to leave Liverpool? Yeah. And most of them voted yes. So, and then sort of Sadio Mane came out and said he's willing to, you know, to sort of uh, honour that that vote, which is such a bizarre thing. Like, I've never seen anything like that at all in football. So, um, yeah, it's really, really weird, mate. Allowing your future to be decided by fans of the nation you play for. (laughs) I mean, exactly. everybody would be voting for Harry Kane to leave Spurs, if that was the case. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, everybody but Spurs fans. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) forgot about them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah no, I don't blame you mate I forget about him, sorry <laughs> I, I, I know I, I can't now not after this season but yeah because <laughs> I think you're the same as me where um, you know you kind of do a, a podcast on yeah. football in general but it's the same for me. I find it hardest trying to talk about spares in, in an objective manner because most of the time I've, I've got a lot of hatred for him. But yeah, I, you've got to kind of take that hat off. Really. You have to. Yeah, exactly. Because my part, mine isn't really a um, like an Arsenal-based one. Um, I talk a lot of Arsenal, of course, being an Arsenal fan, but I try to being mm. impartial with Spurs, which is difficult yeah. when the Spurs fans that do come in, they're not... They're not quite the friendliest um, to fellow to art us, <laughs> and as you can imagine, because I wouldn't be the same if I was gone on theirs as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate, exactly. Um, just going on to another London team, just Crystal Palace, and obviously there's the the Arsenal connection there with Patrick Vieira. Mm-hmm. But um, it's you know it's a weird one. I, ha- I in a way I kind of hate Palace, especially because recently they've just been getting the upper hand o- over um, Arsenal as of late, and especially with Vieira now, they seem to have gone that level higher, and they seem to be even more of a bogey team to the Gunners. Um, it's yeah, it's one that you know, al- although the, there is that sort of bad blood between Arsenal and Palace, I, I somewhat have a bit of admiration for them. I I think especially for what Vieira is doing there this season, he's doing a great great job. Um, and I think a big part of that is is the loan spell of Conor Gallagher. He's been absolutely critical for them and crucial for them. He's been a superb player. And, you know, like I was saying earlier with um, with Christian Eriksen, I think with Conor Gallagher, it's the same sort of deal where, you know, this is a guy that's on loan and he's done a, a fantastic job for him. I think they'll be pulling up trees to try and get him 
there on a, on a permanent transfer. Yeah, for sure, man. And I, I, I definitely agree with you in terms of how your outlook is on Crystal Palace because they're like our little brother as a club um, and in terms of being in London. <laughs> but our relationship's turning probably the same sort of relationship Ryan Giggs and his brother have um, at the moment, given, <laughs> given that how that played <laughs> out. So, yeah, how they keep beating us. So, yeah. Um, but with Palace, Conor Gallagher would be their dream signing. And it might be something similar to the Martin Erdegaard situation when we're looking at this side because he had such a successful loan spell at Crystal Palace. Chelsea would be stupid not to at least give him the preseason to try and prove his worth to them. But with the amount of transfer activity happening at Chelsea and, yeah, with the the amount of money that they're going to be spending, they may need to like raise some to kind of balance out the books in terms of a financial fair play perspective. And they also have quite a bit of competition in midfield with Kante, Kovacic, Jorginho. Is Conor Gallagher going to get the minutes that he deserves um, when we get closer to kick-off in the Premier League? So I think it could be similar to that where Erdegaard was at Real Madrid. They gave him the pre-season. They didn't want to let him go initially, but for them to get Camavinga, they needed to raise some finance. And Erdegaard just wanted to play. He thought, this is my time to play. Arsenal were there knocking and we eventually got him. So I could see that actually playing out. But they also have been linked with that Chape de Coure, uh, who plays for Lons, um, very physical midfielder, um, playing in a very physical midfield for Lons, who have had an impress- impressive season in League One. Um, him and Fofana have been very key to their success and, and their kind of rise in the French League. So... It does seem like they are looking for someone in that midfield to add sort of the physicality and the what Conor Gallagher has in terms of his energy. When I was watching him against us, when they beat us at Selhurst Park, I said, the guy, he, this guy, he doesn't stop running. He's, he's almost like an Igolo yeah. Kante, an English version, but has goals to his game, has, has everything, Conor Gallagher. So if Crystal Palace could get their hands on him, they've got a real gem in their hands and they're starting to build a spine of like, you know, real good, like solid spine for the future as well. That's quite young. No, definitely, definitely. How much do you reckon Crystal Palace would have to pay to get Conor Gallagher from Chelsea? I would say what would suit Crystal Palace as well, 35 to 40 million if they could afford that. Mm. And, and that's big, big fee for a team like Crystal Palace to pay. But I'm thinking of it in regards to they signed Mark Gay for 20 plus, was it like 20 million mm. around that around that region, yeah. which seemed to be a big risk at the time, given he wasn't a Premier League proven player. And for Chelsea, because he's, he's still got a while left on his contract. I think it's 2025 when I looked at it, um, it was to expire. So they could certainly demand a high fee, given the fact he's an England international as well. Um, it's, I'm going to say above 35, minimum 35, 40, uh, maybe add-ons if they get certain bonuses to 45. So, yes, yeah, pretty expensive. And if you was Crystal Palace, I, would you pay that money if it was around that much? Yeah, I think I would. I think, you know, if, if Crystal Palace have sort of ambitions of getting into Europe, then mm-hmm. those are the kind of prices that you have to pay. And I think, you know, it's, it's not as much of a gamble as if, you know, they were going after a player um, outside of the Premier League or yeah. just a, a player that, you know, um, just hasn't played for them before. So I think, you know, this, this is one that essentially should work and there's a big percent, a big chance that it will work. So I think it's, um, it's one that, you know, they're, they're going to have to use 
like you were sort of mentioning before, the fact that he won't get much of a sniff in, maybe use that as a bit of a negotiation tool in, in able to sort of lower the fee down a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I do think, you know, um, if I was Crystal Palace, I would pay 40 mil the max, I think I'd go to, but um, I'd be happy to pay that just considering the, the sort of impact that he had through him last season. Yeah. Just, just going on to Liverpool, mate. So we've been talking about Liverpool quite a lot before we even got to them. And um, this is one you might not have a bit more of a knowledge about. And I think I kind of put his name in here just because um, there were a few sort of links to, to Robert Lewandowski going to Liverpool. And obviously, he's. I think he came out of a statement the other day from Bayern Munich how he'd, there, he kind of mentioned that there's no chance that he's going to play for, for Munich again. So he's essentially admitted that he's going to be leaving Munich, which is a shocker mm. um, because I can't, you know, he's been at Munich for so long. I've kind of forgotten that he used to play for Dortmund. So it's like, um, it's going to be interesting to see him putting on another shirt for another football team. But um, I think this is more, this is less of a, a sort of guess that he's going to end up at Liverpool, but more of a, that I would love to see this player at the Premier League, and I can't really see him going to anywhere else than Liverpool. I think he would really fit them there. I think, um, you know, if he were to be a replacement for Mane, I think he'd be a great replacement because obviously Mane has been playing a lot more centrally for Liverpool as of late. So that would just make a lot of sense. And yeah, it would just be fantastic to see old Lever in the in the Premier League, mate. Yeah, one hundred percent, Lewandowski. There has been links of uh, like cropping up of late um, because he has been heavily linked with Barcelona because. You know, he's even voiced out that he wants to play for Barcelona, but that whole fight... They can't afford him, though, <laughs> Exactly that. And that might lead us to another transfer when we talk about another club. Um, but they can't afford him, no, at all. And it doesn't seem like they're able to raise the cash um, to afford him either. So he said he wants to leave Bayern Munich. Liverpool would be an amazing fit because with Lewandowski... He's my favourite striker. Um, I'm 23 years old, so I've missed some of the, you know, the R9s and whatnot. But the, my favourite striker to watch play football has been Lewandowski because he has everything. The touch, um, he can score all different types of goals in, out, inside, outside the box. He's got everything head. Um, and he's been a phenomenal striker to watch play for club level. To shame internationally. He's not been able to really do it for Poland because of the uh, other p players around not being uh, around his level in a way. Yeah. But with Lewandowski, he would certainly fit in in, in a physical aspect in the Premier League, um, holding up the ball strength-wise, very ripped as well, strong, um, and mm. positions his body well. It's just the question: Is he? Would he be? Do you think, Sai, he would be able to play with that intense press that Liverpool require um, at his age now? If, uh, the, the sort of first thing that springs to mind is when Cristiano Ronaldo mm. for Man United having the godfather of Gagan pressing <laughs> um, come to Man United and he was sort of essentially, you know, the similar sort of age as Lewandowski and he was sort of asked to do the same thing. Um, it wasn't, obviously it didn't set the world alight, uh, the, the sort of combination of, of mm. uh, Rangnick and, and Ronaldo, but... Um, 
I don't think Ronaldo was the worst player for Man United yeah. during his, his tenure. I think Ronaldo was essentially their best player and he absolutely pulled them out of, of a, a dire situation. But um, just to go in, in terms of those sort of two styles uh, being married together, I, I do think it works and I do think it will work with Lewandowski because mm. at the end of the day, and I think something Klopp might argue as well, it doesn't really matter what style of play you have, but as long as they're you know world-class and an elite kind of player, they will fit into almost any team. And Lewandowski is just one of those players, like you mentioned before, who's just a, he's almost like Benzema in the sense of just a complete predator in the box, just knows yeah. every time where the, the where the goal is and he just makes goals out of nothing as well. And I think he would be, it's a weird one because I want to say that you might as well hand the title to Liverpool if he were to go there. But then Man City, who we're going to talk about next, have a striker that you can say exactly the same thing. So it's, it's weird to think that Man City and Liverpool could essentially have the Bundesliga top strikers yeah. that, that were in the Bundesliga and were absolutely ripping up in, in Germany for so long. And now they could end up on English shores. It's, um, it's crazy to think, man. Yeah, ridiculous. The levels that these guys have set and the strikers that there are, that could potentially be adding, both of them, ridiculous. And for me, I, from the style of play, I, I really do love Lewandowski a lot. He's a, more technically refined as well. I'll bring that phrase back up um, than <laughs> the other player that we're mentioning in Haaland um, for Manchester City. But they've also been linked with other names as well. Seems like they are going to that traditional sort of number nine with Darwin Nunez, or Victor Osimhen, who's been linked as well quite loosely. So, yeah, it's interesting ad adaptation that Klopp and Guardiola seem to be taking um, with their fl fluid front threes. I'm talking about Arsenal. Maybe we've got left behind with the likes of <laughs> Pep and Klopp now seem to go in that direction. No, definitely, definitely. What's the sort of likelihood of Lewandowski going to Liverpool for you, mate? I think it's increasing as each day goes by with Barcelona not being able to raise the money. So, I would say right now, uh, in the terms of percentage-wise, I'd say... 40%, which is relatively high, um, given that um, factor. And and my reason for that is Mane seems to be heading to Bayern. They're going to need to like make some space, even in terms of wages, to allow that to happen, obviously financially as well. So, yeah, it seems like a, a match made in heaven currently for Bayern Munich and Liverpool. It's just whether if the player's interested, which is why I haven't gone higher than 40%. No, no, absolutely. I understand that. Um, yeah, that would be an absolutely crazy signing. And speaking of crazy signings, I know we sort of mentioned his name already, but Erling Haaland yeah. to Man City, it's a done deal. It looks like, well, I say it looks like it's happening. It is happening. Um, it's, it's, it's still a signing that I have to pinch myself about now that I can't believe he's going to be in the Premier League. Um, it's such an exciting, exciting player. And for somebody that's only, just sort of rejog my memory, is he 21, 22? I can't remember. Yeah. 21. Yeah. So he's only 21 years old and the stuff that he's achieved already is absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, just given his age, just the, the type of sort of player is he plays like a 30-year-old, you know, the physique. And you talked about Lewandowski being ripped to Erl Erling Haaland <laughs> is on another level. He's almost got like a cyborg's body. He's just, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's an absolute beast. Um, so it's really going to be interesting. Uh, do you think stylistically Haaland's going to suit sort of the Guardiola model? Because it's if you look back at Guardiola's career, he hasn't had this type of player in most of his teams. If you look at Barcelona, he didn't have it, didn't really have it so much at Bayern Munich. Um, 
I suppose it's the closest that he had. He had uh, oh, what was his name? He was at Juventus, the uh, Croatian guy. Uh, oh, begins with a P. Mandzukic, sorry, you're not not P. I don't know where I got yeah. P from. But, uh, <laughs> that threw me off. Uh, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my bad. And, yeah, Mario Mandzukic, I suppose, was the sort of closest to to Harlan in a way, mm. sort of big tall man. But yeah, most of the time he's had these sort of false nine kind of strikers, and, and most teams that it's been at. So, do you think Harland is is gonna gonna fit essentially? Yeah, well, that's the question, man, and that's where I'm looking at it straight away. And, um, maybe you might have contrasting opinions, but I think he's going to struggle initially this season um, in his game because we're in the Bundesliga and even when he was playing in Austria, they're very, you know, technical leagues in a way. So they should he should work that. And I think he's probably a little bit underrated, technically speaking, but the space given and afforded to these teams in a high line, that's not going to be the case at Manchester City. So you have to be a bit more sophisticated in and around the box when you're talking in that way, and he very do, very much plays at 100 miles an hour um, intensity. He's going to match that in terms of the press. He'll give him that, which is not my question for Haaland. But in terms of the build-up play, having that sophistication, that you know, that little bit of know-how in and around these tight areas, that's my question for mm. Haaland. And his movement in the box, the balls that Kevin De Bruyne will play, I think we may see a lot of those goals creeping into their game again, which we saw with when Aguero was in the box, a predator in the box. And aerially as well, being at what, six foot five or however much he is tall, he's going to be a, a real threat for most centre-backs. And physically, as you said, he's like a cyborg. Um, so he's not going to struggle in that sense. But I'm thinking technically. But what about you, Simon? Do you think he'll be able to adapt quickly this season because when you're looking at Pep Guardiola signings going forward and defensively in Jao Cancelo took a year for him to adapt Riyad Mahrez he took a while and now we're seeing the real limits and he's the capabilities of his game and then of course last summer's Jack Grealish who had he's spoken about it himself saying it's been really difficult playing in a different change room and under Pep Guardiola I think Rodri was another player as well yes, that definitely. kind of struggled in his first season. So, yeah, no, I can kind of, um, I really understand where, where you're coming from. And then I kind of agree. I don't think Ireland will have the sort of impact, but it's typical, isn't it? As soon as we, we sort of say that, you know, he's just going to end up absolutely taking it by storm. And he kind of gives me nightmares from an Arsenal perspective because he totally smacks of a sort of Didier Drogba in the oh, sense that man. he'll just absolutely, yeah, sorry to bring that <laughs> name up, mate, but, <laughs> but I can just see it now, him just like loving scoring against Arsenal. But um, I, I don't know, I do, I do think he'll probably struggle, but I still think he'll do well. I don't think he'll flop. I think he'll probably, you know, get sort of 10 to 15 goals, have a sort of respectable respectable season but he's still got you know last season he had big injury issues so maybe that will crop up and maybe he'll struggle from that a little bit so yeah it'll be an interesting one but I do I do think he'll he'll do respectively well it just I just don't think he will you know kind of explode the way that Man City are kind of hoping him to do so yeah I can understand that and the injury point is (laughs) is an interesting one as well because you know it's because of his age and his body he's still growing in a way into his body probably not in in terms of height but maybe in terms of size filling out a little bit more 
we may even see that and that's ridiculous so maybe that's a factor in terms of his injuries when I'm looking at it because I studied um, in strength and conditioning sports science and in terms of how different players will develop like I know I'm bringing it back to Arsenal but a Mill Smith role technically he's very good but I still think physically he's got areas to develop but Saka yeah. he physically filled out and has, has done at a very young age which is why he was able to play for Arsenal at 17 and then you're looking at you know you Phil Folden who took a while because of his small frame and stature but has started to kind of get a little bit stronger so maybe that's been the case for a Haaland as well so yeah I still think I agree with you 10 to 15 goals maybe a little bit more if he's on penalty duty as well yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Uh, just moving over to the other side of Manchester. Uh, yeah, I, I, I still, you know, although they're not the powers that be uh, used to be in the 90s, I still hate them for some reason. Oh, me too. <laughs> me too, Simon. We agree. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. I think Darwin Nunes, I don't know why, maybe this is just a bit of a gut feeling, but I think he'll be their marquee sign-in. Mm. Um, but this, a question I just want to bring to you is, do you think with, with Eric Ten Hag um, as their new manager, do you think Manchester United's strategy for transfers will be almost like um, Arsenal have done in the last couple of seasons where we, we were more or less sort of started from scratch and we've been starting this process, as we <laughs> don't like to call it so much, but you know, just sort of bringing in the, these younger players and looking to sort of build from a from a lower platform. Do you think that'll be the the next sort of um, uh, the, the the sort of way that Man United will look to attack the transfer window, or do you think they'll they'll sort of go about how they have been in the last few transfer windows, where they've just been looking to bring in marquee signings, big names like Ronaldo and so on? Yeah, they've they've got to take the similar approach to what we have taken because. They need to have a whole new identity within the club um, in Manchester United because the fans, they uphold the standards like we did for Arsenal and what we want to achieve. And that's why there's been so much discontent across the fan base. But within the club, it needs a whole new look. And the only way you can do that is by getting rid of a lot of players, even if it might be you know, a, success, a player that's been relatively successful in their period of time, just to make sure that there's a whole new identity that suits uh, and that's all on board with Eric Ten Hag because there's been quite a bit of criticism from Eric Ten Hag in terms of a characteristically, he doesn't seem to be, you know, um, you know, he doesn't seem to have like an aura around him at a club. He's not the most charismatic. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's the best way to put it. And that's why I don't think Spurs, that's why they rejected him apparently from what rumours have been saying. So, but with what you're going to have to have is a buy-in from every single player if they are going to be successful. And the best way to do that is by signing younger players who are up and coming, who aren't at quite at the level yet. When you sign them, they've still got a lot to prove. And the best way is to, and the manager wants these players as well. But if they went for this marquee approach with these players, with with the current situation Manchester United are in, you're potentially taking on mercenary-esque players who are in there for the paycheck, not to really help Manchester United succeed, but more to increase their brand and bank account um, rather than for the love of United. So that's what the approach they're going to have to take. And it will be interesting because will they have enough money to sign a Darwin? I mean, Manchester United have a lot of money, but within trans in in terms of the amount of work that needs to be done, can they sign a Darwin Nunez for what, 80, 70, 80 million? 
£75. And then another player who's been linked with them, a Frankie de Jong, for 75 minimum, it seems like, that Barcelona mm. will be asking for. And then also centre-backs involved, and probably more midfielders, etc. So they might have to go for some players that are in that 30 million to maybe at the top end, 50 million region, kind of like how we mm. did. So, yeah, it will, it's a very interesting market that they're going to be involved in. And it's the same market that us as Arsenal fans, that they're going to be into this, in for the same sort of players, I imagine, given we're both in the Europa League as well. No, no, definitely. I completely agree. And I think, you know, it's going to be the sort of biggest struggle for, for Ten Hag. I mean, is he going to sort of demand the cash book being thrown his way? Because if you look at the last managers they've had, and I think with Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho... All those managers had a lot of money yeah. to, to sort of have and at their disposal. So is Ten Hag going to have a bit of a struggle to, to essentially beg the Glazers for that money? Because um, it hasn't worked in the past. And I think, you know, um, it's not necessarily been about the the amounts of money they've spent. It's just been about the, the who they've spent the money on. And, you know, is that going to be, is that going to be changed? And I think, you know, I, I would have to look at things now and I'd have to say that it doesn't matter what manager they have. Um, it really sort of trickles from the top down. And, you know, if they don't have, um, because I think they've just brought in a new sort of director of football now and the technical director, whatever you want to call it, it as long as he does his business well and he sort of brings in the transfers that they need and they essentially sort of fill... Um, these positions that, that need to be filled and not sort of fill square holes with round pegs, then I think I think they'll do well. But yeah, that's that's essentially going to be Eric Ten Hag's biggest struggle, and I, I do wonder if um, he's going to have the right support that he needs. Yeah, one hundred percent, and that's the question that most Man United fans are asking too. With the current regime that's been put in place, there is signs of change, as you said, bringing in John Murtagh, their new director of football, and that Richard Arnold new names, but they are hired within as well. So they have been involved in Manchester United in different ways. And now they've just given like a different title um, with Ed Woodward mm. leaving. So it's going to be an interesting summer for them watching. It will be intriguing as um, <laughs> I can't even say neutral, because as you said, I've got that similar sort of <laughs> hatred for United as well. I do ultimately want to see them fail, but I want... <laughs> Essentially, we want to see Arsenal, Manchester United get back to the levels they were because that had yeah. that rivalry did have that, you know, that passion, that that heat, that a little bit of hostility, which made it great. Which Manchester City and Liverpool are lacking, but I think there will be a spark at some point coming up soon that will really kickstart that. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a very intriguing summer for both of us and heading in for the same players and we'll see what direction Man United will ultimately go probably by September. If you like football films, then come check out the Triple F Cinema where I'm joined by guests, sometimes football fans, sometimes not, to review a specific football film. Give me two tickets to that football film right now.
so just as we were talking about sort of um, cash books and, and big big amounts of money being at sort of manager, managers' disposals, we've got to talk about Newcastle next. And obviously, I think Eddie Howe essentially really should be having a, a big pile of money sent his way <laughs> to spend on transfers because we're all expecting it. We're all expecting big name players to come in at Newcastle. Um, and, you know, I think they have to be kind of strategic in a way that they're not able to, that right now they are essentially a mid-table club. They're, they're, they're essentially a club that's, you know, they could potentially be um, in those sort of relegation scrap zone at the moment, just given where they are with their squad. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it just, you know, it begs the question, what kind of, at what level are the marquee signings uh, Newcastle able to bring in at the moment? Um, and for me, I do. I just think I'd hate this to happen because I'd love to see Lucas Paqueta at Arsenal. But I do think he is going to end up at Newcastle. And I think a main reason for that is because his best mate, Bruno Gimaraes, is, is there already. And I think, you know, as much as it sounds trivial, but I do think footballers look at things like this and they see their best mates at a club. They think, right, I can go there. Obviously, money talks as well. You sort of add that into the equation. Um, I can just see Lucas Paqueta ending up at St. James's Park. What do you reckon, mate? Yeah, big shout. And you've said it, Bruno Guimaraes, his best mate being there. And with the Brazilian contingency that they are looking to build, you know, they were in for the likes of Diego Carlos in January as well. So I think they are going about it in the right way, Newcastle, because their ceiling of signing, which they should be looking at, is those players that have just dropped out of the Europa League or in in and around that Europa League level because that's the next stage and they won't be quite seen as mercenaries because they're coming into the Premier League and I think a lot of players would sacrifice, you know, playing in the Europa League in, in, in a different co- in country, I mean, a different, yeah, in a different country on the continent in Europe, mm. but um, would get that Premier League money, that brand exposure and that chance to really push forward and everyone knows the situation at Newcastle at the moment. So they could pay a, pay a pretty penny to get these players in over the line, but then also have an exciting future with their huge fan base um, in a one-club city like Newcastle with how passionate those fans are. It's it's a real like, untapped potential there, and so it's definitely been tapped now. So with Lucas Paqueta, I could see those type of signings, you know, um, Musa Diaby at Bayer Leverkusen, and those types of clubs in and around. Are, they, are, they, are Leverkusen in the Champions League, though? Um, or is it the Europa League? Um, that's a good question, mate. Um, Whilst you're having a look, uh, those types of players, and also tapping on players who could be coming up on a free contract or re- year, only a year or so remaining on their deal would be an excellent um, bit of business. And they are seeming to take that right direction. And I, th- I think it will be, in a way, d- they won't sign players for managers specifically because eventually I think they do plan to go beyond Eddie Howe unless he surpasses their expectations. Then you can build the club around him. So, yeah, more building a philosophy, in, in a philosophical-based project, I think it will be for Newcastle. Yeah, no, um, yeah, Musa Diaby is probably going to, look towards Newcastle as a bit of a step down because they did actually qualify for the Champions oh, League. Oh, did they? Um, oh, yeah, they finished third in the Bundesliga. So, yeah. Oh, fair so, enough, yeah. Is it, but, but, you know, like we sort of said before, um, 
they are able to sort of pull in these types of players. And, you know, if they were to bring in the likes of Diaby, I, I wouldn't be too surprised because, you know, like you say, with the fan base there and um, the money that they've got at their disposal, they're able to do it. Exactly that is true. And there's payments in other ways because, you know, with financial fair play, I'm sure these, <laughs> when there's a lot of money around in store like that, they'll find ways in bonuses, in etc., in hotels, in some cases, if you're in, along the likes of PSG. Definitely, mate. Right, the bit that um, we've been looking against the, the whole chat, and it's the hardest bit for both of us gunners, mate. And it's, uh, yeah, talking about Spurs. Um, this is a player that I think, um, I mean, Spurs, if we, I've kind of been looking at their transfer business and they haven't been massively linked to any. Obviously, they've just signed even Perisic. They've been linked to, um, I can't remember his name now, but he plays for um, Inter Milan, is it? A defender? Bastoni. Uh, yeah, that's right. Is it Inter? Yes. Right. Yeah, Bastoni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So they've been linked to that centre-back as well. But I just, this is more of a guess in a way. There hasn't been solid links to, to Mike Mignan. Uh, of AC Milan to to Spurs, but just given Fabio Paratici and and more or less the ever since he's been their their technical director, he's brought in all of the players from from the Serie A that have been brought into Spurs. So I'm I'm kind of looking at it from that angle, but I'm also thinking Hugo Lloris is 35 now, so mm. they need to be looking at a new goalkeeper and a new number one goalkeeper. Mike Mignan will not come cheap <laughs> he will be very expensive he's only just signed for AC Milan so he's only one year into his contract so I think you'll be looking at about 60 possibly even 70 mil for a goalkeeper which is crazy but in my opinion he'd be worth every penny of that he's a fantastic goalie and you know he wasn't voted Serie A's goalkeeper of the season for no reason he's he's a brilliant brilliant goalie um, and I just think Spurs you know if they are to replace Hugo Lloris, who's their club captain. He's a massive player for them. But like I said, he's getting to the age of 35 now. They need to look to move on. I know they brought in Fraser Forster, but Fraser Forster is more or less the same sort of age as, as Lloris. So he's not, He's you know, Forster's not been brought in to be the, the, the sort of future number one goalkeeper. They will be looking at a young guy, maybe even Gianluigi uh, Donnarumma mm. at PSG. Again, he'll be very expensive, but just somebody of that ilk. Yeah, uh, and that sort of age profile, I think Spurs will be looking to bring in for a goalie. Yeah, and it's quite a big shout for you to say that because <laughs> I do actually think that Hugo Lloris has had a decline throughout the last few years of his career since he's won the World Cup in 2018. Um, I've seen a few more errors creep into his game, where, which he cost um, Spurs in against Wolves, for example, and there was another game. I, I try not to pay too much attention to Spurs' games, but yeah, there has been a decline <laughs> in his in his way. And the, with Paratici, there's been a lot of links for for players within the Serie A. It's just a question on if because the players that are there, they camp they. I know Mike Menon's a French goalkeeper, so he's, he'd probably be a bit more open to leaving. But signing players outside of it, it well, in Italy to come outside of them into the Premier League, it's usually quite a task. But maybe the pull of Antonio Conte is enough with Paratici there to suit him and help him as well. But Mike Magnon, what an impressive goalkeeper I've seen. Loves a camera save, like all the top goalkeepers do. <laughs> but one to be looking at and keep your eye out for sure. And I do think he would be a fantastic signing for Spurs in progressively playing out of the back as well. Modern day goalkeeper. And 
the air. It could be filling out that position for years to come with that cast injection from Enoch as well, which is a big, you know, something that Spurs fans are excited about um, because that's not happened from with with Enoch's tenure at the club. Hasn't put in this like, 150 million cash injection um, in terms of loans and whatnot to get that over the line for them so that they can have a big summer keeping Antonio Conte at the helm. So we've got to worry about Spurs, Si. Um, I'm worried about them. Yeah, no, I, I I know it pains us both to say, but yeah, I, I completely agree. They are doing decent business. And I think, you know, the acquisitions of Paratici and Conte uh, have, been a, have been a great sort of uh, bit of business for them. But I suppose the, the one thing that gives me hope on Conte's perspective is the fact that I don't think he's a manager who likes to stick around for too long. Mm. I think as soon as things start to go wrong, he throws like he has done already he's only been there for about six just over six months and he's already shown signs of throwing his toys out of the pram so um you know w- would you as a spurs fan be happy with the comments that he came up with after the burnley game where he basically said what's the point i mean that's you know that was a that was a bit of an eye-opener but um you know that that's what gives me a little bit of hope i think is is that is conte gonna be there for for a long period of time I, I don't think so. I think, you know, if the likes of PS, <coughs> sorry, PSG sort of come sniffing around, I think Conte will be the be off on his way to Paris sooner than you can say uh, croissants. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good point. And with the news breaking out today of Mauricio Bocciatino looking looking like he will be sacked by the time you listen or watch this, um, yeah, that might have happened at that period. So we'll have to wait and see in particular for that one. And maybe Pochettino could be heading back to Spurs sooner than we think. So I hope so. Does that mean it it, would have failed for Conte? (laughs) I completely agree, mate. I hope so too. I hope so too. It would be absolutely brilliant. Just, uh, you know, the the amount of stick that we're getting Spurs fans, you know, it's almost as if they've, lifted a trophy just getting into the Champions League. But I just have to remind Spurs fans, they don't get a trophy for this. So, you know, you can bring out as many DVDs as you like, so, you know, you don't get a trophy for this. Exactly that. If you want to look at a full trophy cabinet, you've got to look at Arsenal. Tell them about gold. Is theirs gold? No, it's not. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Um, so, um, unfortunately, I'm going to have to wrap things up there. I know we want to talk about, um, well, we can quickly talk about it. It was Jesse Lingard mm. um, possibly moving to West Ham. Um, he might go to other teams, but I think with West Ham, obviously, it's, a, it's it would just be a, a solid fit for him. You know, he, he had a great time there. Um, he's got a great relationship with David Moyes. I can, yeah, I can see that just, just making the most sense, really, if, if Lingard is to go there. And obviously he's a free transfer now. So maybe he's having a few conversations with other clubs, but for me, I would be surprised if he didn't go to West Ham, to be honest. Yeah, 100% agree. He had such a successful loan spell there. And, you know, being Jesse Lingard, I'm thinking about him, as you say, in the trivial point of view, being the personality that he has, he loved his time in London, but it's a big step for him um, to be leaving Manchester after he spent what nearly what even if he lives up until he's like, what eighty, that's a third of his <laughs> life there in Manchester. So yeah, fair play to Jesse Lingard for taking that step and not staying at Manchester United trying to take that comfortable route. But West Ham would be great for him. Play week in week out. Got a small squad as well, so there's plenty of opportunity. 
and would be an experienced player. Um, would you believe it? He is, he is actually an experienced player now, Jesse Lingard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's no longer the uh, you know sort of up and coming youthful <laughs> talent that everybody exactly. likes to sort of label him with. <laughs> it's it's crazy to think. Exactly. Even if his baby face will tell you different. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, mate. So, um, yeah, just uh, thanks again, Tariq, for coming on, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a fantastic chat with you, mate. Um, I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, but, yeah, if you just wanted to sort of give yourself a bit of a plug and just tell people where they can find you, go ahead. No worries, Simon. Thank you for inviting me to come on. This has been a long time in the making as well. Um, and I'd Oh, and you're more than welcome to come over and to read talks. Hopefully, without the connection issues that I had today. Apologies for that, <laughs> Simon. I did dip out for a little bit. But yeah, come find me at Tariq Talks over on YouTube, talking all things football. It's not just Arsenal related. Um, a lot of Premier League clubs, that's what I've spoken about in this year. I made my channel a year ago in August. So I want to expand and do a lot more European football. I've done a little bits and bobs watching Serie A like Juventus versus Inter Milan, but I want to do a lot more. And you know what? So we can chat with people like Simon and meet people like you more often. Thank you once again, Sai. It's been an absolute pleasure talking football with you and look forward to doing it again in the near future. Yes, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. I will definitely get you on again, man. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll be more than more than happy to come on your show. More than uh, welcome. Whenever you need me on, mate. That's fantastic. Definitely. We'll get that sorted in the pipeline soon. So stay tuned for that, people. <laughs> absolutely absolutely right Tariq thanks again man take it easy buddy thank you you too man take care people thank you so much for listening to the Triple F if you could please drop a like on our Facebook page subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter that would be massively appreciated hope you're all keeping safe and thanks again for listening to the Triple F Triple F